Welcome to episode 257 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here. And this week we've got a great interview with Mike Mostert. We actually recorded this probably two months ago now. Yeah, before the world uh, started ending. Yeah, even before that, you know, we had a few backlogged. Yeah, and then right. then everything kind of happened, and then this got pushed back. But we haven't even done an episode. Well, we haven't sat down and recorded an episode in like five weeks. Right. I think it was the final week of February, and then our most recent episode, the Ozzy episode, came out the first week of March. Here we are, three, three weeks later, I guess. Right. Four weeks, I don't it, know, whatever it, it is now. As everybody knows, I mean, it's been nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's been crazy. I don't even know what to say. Uh, well, first question I got I, for you I'm, is... I'm, I'm... Was what? Have you seen any good concerts lately? Fuck you. Okay. That that, that was fucked up, man. Right. What you just said. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> None of us have. Right. <laughs> it's just crazy, and it's made me a fucking neurotic mess. I don't usually fucking let shit like this get to me, but it's weird. Uh, fuck, you know, I got shitty with you a fucking week or two ago. I don't know. Fuck, it's just crazy, so, uh, you know, we just gotta navigate through the best we know how. I don't know. Yeah. Just like everybody else. Yeah, what yeah. can, I mean, what can we say that everyone has, hasn't even said, or hasn't been said already about all this? Yeah, we're not here with breaking news no, at all. No, yeah. We're just here to talk like we normally do. <laughs> yeah, because what the fuck else you got, you just gotta go. Right. Well, before we get into some talk, we're gonna tell you, as we always do, who our sponsors are. One of our sponsors is MedFarm, and they are a dispensary that's located at 24683 East Highway 51. That's just about a less than a quarter mile past Anita Road, right off Highway 51. And yes, like most businesses, you're like, are they open? They are. They have a drive through window. Yeah, that's what I thought was really cool, because the place used to be a fucking Daylight Donuts. Yeah. And it, has, and it had a drive through window already built in. So, um... Cannabis on the go. Drive up for all your medicinal purposes. It fucking works out. That is. That's that's a great deal, and that works out great for them, which I'm sure a lot of these other um, dispensaries around town don't have a drive through so that's even yep. more of a reason. But the biggest reason that we always tell you you need to go to MedFarm, besides their great products and great people, is the fact that their slogan is cannabis with a cause, because 30% of their proceeds are going to help build no-kill animal shelters. And they've got a site that's already set with the building on it, and it's being worked on. Should be up and running sometime this year. And that's a huge, great deal, which is a great reason to come out and support these guys. You can get 10% off your order if you mention Thunder Underground. You can text them your order. Get on their Facebook, which is MedFarm PHRM, to find all the details how to text or order ahead of time, or you can just go through the drive through like normal. Their Instagram is at MedFarmOK, and their website is MedFarmOK.com, and you can see all their products listed on Leafly as well, Leafly.com. So huge thank you to MedFarm as always, and we've also got DEB Concerts. They've got several concerts coming up. Yes, they do. So far, the only one that's had to be rescheduled was Texas Hippie Coalition, which was originally scheduled for... 420. Yeah, aptly. Right. For THC, but that will now be happening... 420 will now be happening on June 26th. Okay. That show will be hosted by Lynn Hernandez, 
and it features Sweat and Bullets and Poster Child. Nice. Poster Child is a great band. You need to get out there and check this show out. That'll be a great one. That's at the Ideal Barn, like the majority of all DEV shows. Then, on Saturday, July 11th, we've got the New Metal Revival. This will feature Saliva, Power Man 5000, Edema, Flaw, and Andrew W. Boss. There you go. And that will be at the Ideal Barn as well. So, if you're a fan of late 90s, early 2000s, New Metal, this is the show for you. Yeah. Power Man 5000, I will tell you, is excellent live. So, that's the draw for me there, definitely. But I know all these bands are good, so get all out right. there, check that out. And then, July 13th, just two days later, at the BOK Center, Poison will be headlining a show that will also feature Tom Kiefer and Sebastian Bach. So, right there, you've got three of the... Voices that defined a generation. Can you imagine an arena show back then with Poison, Cinderella, and Skid Row? Yeah, I would have shit my pants. <laughs> Holy crap. Or as you like to say, took a shit out my dick. <laughs> out of your dick. Not yeah. on your, that's, you're weird. No, that's what you You're said. into some weird <laughs> shit. Out of, took a shit out of your dick, not there. on your dick. That's fucking, <laughs> I need to fucking get out of here. Yeah. I thought right. I knew you. Jesus. Right. My apologies to DEP for throwing that in the middle of their You're promo. You're some here. weird shit, Trent. <laughs> but that show, I believe, will be hosted by Eddie Trunk. And that, of course, like I said, is at the BOK Center of July 13th. That's the one we've been talking about for quite a while, that they have another BOK show coming. So glad that they are got another arena show. Yes, definitely. Then, of course, also, they booked all the acts at Rocklahoma, which is Memorial Day weekend. As of now, it hasn't been canceled or rescheduled. We're guessing that that might happen at this rate, but if it doesn't, regardless of what happens, DEB booked these bands for the Roadhouse stage, which features Warrant and Bullet Boys and Hurricane Alice on the pre-party, Lynch Mob, Liliac, and John Five and the Creatures headline the other nights on the Roadhouse stage. And there's a ton of other great acts. If you get on DEBconcerts.com, you can check out all that. You can also buy tickets there for all these shows. So huge thank you to DEB Concerts. All right. So before we get into this, I mean, is there anything to talk? I mean, we got we could talk about a million different things, but yeah, right yeah. off the top, let's say we're going to do a live stream. Yes. Thursday night. And I think that's where we're going to kind of, that's kind of all the ideas I'm kind of putting towards that. Yeah. So I think. I just wanted to throw out, you know, something we're going to talk about there anyway, just in case someone listens to this and doesn't listen to that. Yeah. You know, is the fact that you all know that. A lot of people think if they know a band's name, if I've heard of a band, man, these guys are freaking millionaires, you know? Like, mm -hmm. say for instance, I'm not talking about Metallica or Def Leppard or Motley Crue. I'm talking about mm -hmm. Crowbar or yes. Seven Dust or those bands, Corrosion Conformity. Yeah. What's those it, bands at that level, you know, that kind of middle level. Yeah. What What, what is it, uh, Jamie Jost always used to say, the cruising altitude. Yeah, there you maybe, go. Maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And these bands have had success, but, you know, you, as the music business changed, they, the majority of the money they make now is off of touring. Mm -hmm. And when they tour and when they sell merchandise. And obviously that's not something they can do now for the foreseeable future, yeah. next several months at least. So, if you have a band you love or if you're scrolling through Facebook and see a band that's, you know, selling t-shirts or selling, you know, hey, you can talk to someone for 
20 bucks for 30 minutes. I've seen stuff like that, all kinds of different stuff, you mm-hmm. know, do it. You know, I mean, yeah, if, if, you've get, if you've got the money to do it, I know everybody, there's other people hurting as well, but I'm just saying that's a great way to support music in this time being. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a great point. Uh, none of these guys are millionaires. Um, you, you, and, and you, you know, think about it. They're all working class dudes like all of us. Yeah. I mean, really, when you get down to it, it's just their work is in a bus or a van and in a club. Uh, you know, like you mentioned COC, uh, Pepper Keenan, for God's sakes, does a million different things when he's not on the road. Yeah. He runs a bar. He fucking renovates houses, blah, 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 blah. I mean, and a lot of these dudes are the same way. They do the same kind of things. And so, uh, you know, throw them enough to, to pay an electric bill or something. I mean, it all helps out. It all works. Yeah. And same thing with, you know, venues and clubs and exactly. in our area or wherever, whatever area you're listening to this in. Here in the Tulsa area, you know, there's some great venues like the Venue Shrine and the Vanguard, Blackbird on Pearl, that feature a lot of not just national acts, but they promote local acts as well, mm-hmm. which is a lot of cities few and far between and i think for the size of our city we've got a decent amount of places that support local first shop is another one and a lot of these are starting to do things like you know i i think that the shrine was doing something similar to what gas monkey was doing where they you can pay a 100 bucks and they give you a punch card exactly and you can go to 10 shows no matter how much the cost was that was Mm -hmm. the gas monkey i don't know if the shrine was a little different but the shrine also did the survival pack that you bought and I yes. bought. Yeah. So they're they're doing all these places are doing different things uh to make ends meet. So if you can help them out. Yeah, absolutely. Do we want to hold talking about everything else till our live stream? I think try so. to get people over there. We're gonna talk about yep. some me and that man, some body count. Right. You know, of course more about what we just talked about. Oh yeah, yeah. It's we're gonna touch on all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So Tune into that. Get on our Facebook page for the exact time. We haven't settled on the exact time, but it'll be Thursday evening, 6 or 7 around that time. Yep. So get on there and, and check it out. All right. So like I said, we recently did this interview here with Mike Mostert, and we had played the song She's Gone here a few months ago, last fall, I think, when it first came out. And there's an album called Mike Mostert and the Go-Go Tuner family album. And basically Mike Mostert is the owner of Go-Go Tuners and he's also a great guitarist. And he kind of, he talks about it here in this interview, but he assembled a cast of guys that, you know, are Go-Go Tuner users and that perform with his products and just made an album. And it's spans the gamut of styles and it's like he talks about it's got artists from genres playing other genres you've got you know everything from blues to metal and it's a great diverse album and i dig it yeah it's uh very uh, it's a cool way to to promote what you got going on in your product and it's unique yeah yeah and he talked about that the the band in theory which is the kind of collective band that was recording some of these songs before he brought in all the guests. He was working on new music. He had said, and I believe in an interview, I haven't listened to it since recorded, but I think he said April. So that might obviously change now with everything going on. Yeah. But still we should hear new music from them again this year, later this year, probably. So be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, let's get into this. This is Mike Mostert. 
saw you were at a NAM recently. Were you out there representing Go-Go Tuners, or were you just attending it? I was, no, I was doing several things. So I, I own several companies. So um, I, I own, obviously, I own Go-Go Tuners. <laughs> Excuse me. And I also own a, a repping company and represent several brands on the West Coast. And then I also, with a, um, a Chinese tech company, um, also a, um, a senior VP with those guys, and I'm trying to launch a newer technology into the United States with, with those guys. So I was doing some meetings with those, those folks out there. And I'm meeting a lot of my go-go guys. Kind of jumping into the album, I mean, where did the, did the idea for making an album, you know, kind of with your family of artists well, that that was like a several year process, but um, but fast forward to, to making the record, um, I thought, you know what, I want to. What about making a, a like a go go roster record? And I started going down the list of the guys on the uh, on the roster, <clears throat> and everybody was a resounding yes. We're in, we're in, we're in. And initially, I was just going to maybe play guitar with a couple of tracks and. Um, and really had a little bit more of the the R's, you know, and just take a different role. Um, by the time I got to the seventh or eighth person, they're like, well, do you want to write? And then also like, a, you know, light bulb went off. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Yeah, let's let's write. So I ended up co-writing or writing every song and then producing the, the record and then playing guitar in all the songs uh, with the R's and making, you know, like a very a true collaborative uh, effort. Was this uh, quite a, a arduous process, getting all these guys together or uh, and compiling the songs, <laughs> yeah. or did it go smoothly? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It's, um, you know, we always try to make it seem smooth, but it's definitely far from smooth, as, yeah. as you know, because uh, everybody has a different schedule, and, um, and everybody's in different parts of the world, and it was really important for me that uh, I was there for, you know, every part of it, you know, and I was really trying to create, uh, you know, like, like, I'm not sure if you guys are also players as well, but there's a certain interaction when you're playing with somebody versus just sending your tracks over, uh, you know, like, I mean, obviously today, like the technology is so good that people are like, okay, send me your tracks and I'll play some tracks over it. Um, in this case, I was trying to get as many people in the same room together. And, and even for the recording process of this, um, you know, I mean, I had a flight to, uh, to Mexico, Nashville, Nashville, Muscle Shoals, um, different parts of LA, New York, Philly, um, Virginia, just, you know, whenever an artist had a day free or a few hours free, I was on the plane to make it happen. Were there any of the songs that you were able to get everybody in the same spot or was most of it done? that way where you're working with like one artist in the studio and then going somewhere else to work with another one? Um, the, well, there's a couple of songs on there by the, the, like uh, a band was created within the record. Um, as that, that band's called in theory and that's a little bit more of a hard rock metal band, but that's, I would say a little bit less collaborative. That's a real rock band within the, the record. Um, I'm not sure. Have you guys had a chance to listen to that one yet? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, every song. Yes. And with that group, you know, that's the group that we're actually trying to to launch 
uh, you know, off the record and, you know, make it a current hard rock band or current metal band. And with that band, yeah, we, we, we definitely had our, uh, a lot of rehearsals with those guys and recording the same place, rehearsing the same place. And, and, uh, yeah. So what the, in theory is, is, is the closest thing to that, making it a real band. And, and it just keeps evolving from what I can see. Is that a, I mean, is that something you think, so in theory could potentially put out an album on, on your own here down the line? Yeah, that's the next goal. In fact, um, we start working on, on the tracks for that starting in April. Okay. Um, and, and that we're actually going to record the entire record in Muscle Shoals. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the, the history of Muscle Shoals. And, oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, and um, yeah. So basically, what we're going to try to do is there's been such an evolution from the start of the record to where we are now. And um, I brought the singer down from In Theory, uh, maybe like three weeks ago, and then started experimenting with different you know, chord voicings and different things. And we were able to actually record with them. You know who the Swappers are? No. Okay. Um, the, uh, obviously, you know, Muscle Shoals has probably been what, about two billion records sold out of Muscle Shoals. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but but there's these guys, these four or five guys um, called the Swappers, and they were the the sidemen or the band for almost all those records. That that dates back from the mid '60s up until, I mean, even even currently, um, you know. And two two of the Swappers died last year. So there's only two original Swappers left. And these are the guys who created Aretha Franklin sound and created Carol King and Percy Sledge and Wilson P- Puckett. But, um, but the list just like goes on and like playing with the Allman brothers and even Leonard Skinner and even newer bands like rival sons. So, you know, they're, they're it's just amazing who these guys play with. It, it will, it will blow your mind who these guys play with. And, um, so I was able to reach out to one of the um, swappers. His name is Spooner. He was the keyboardist for actually creating Aretha Franklin sound. And I said, look, I got this idea. I got the singer from In Theory. I got the uh, cellist from France. Um, and then myself. And we remade a couple of songs that are on the Goga record that are um, essentially they're, they're the songs from In Theory. But now I made it a little bit more like swampier, it doesn't really go to blues, but it gives, it's like a swampy, eerie type of thing. It's almost like you would almost hear, I don't know, like a Nirvana meets Soundgarden, but with a different type of singer almost. It's a cool little vibe we were able to create with that. And, you know, and of course it's historic because, you know, these, they don't, obviously there's only two left and they don't really play out and they rarely record with anybody. So to have him come down, and this was just so much fun for him to do. I, I, it, you know, it wasn't lost on on you know my uh, on my eyes that you know this was something of a uh, historic nature to do. Right. And um, you know, and so a couple of those tracks were actually putting it as a bonus track on the on the physical copy of the uh, the Gogo record. Okay. Well, speaking of the other people that weren't part of your go-go roster like some of the vocalists or the drummers keyboards etc like how'd you go about seeking them out and bringing them together to be part of this project 
a lot of them were just um, I call it you know friends and friends of family or you know family of the friends and um, each one's a little bit slightly different. So um, as far as like say like that song uh, like the blues song. It was, it was a little bit of a fluke. He was this drummer that I'd just known for a long time. Uh, and now he plays with, um, out of all things, he plays with Frankie Valley, and he plays with Missing Persons, and he also plays, he's done a couple tours with Sebastian Bach as well. And um, I just happened to run into him in, in, uh, in California at, at a party, at a drum party. And he, he was asking me, what, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm working on this record. He goes, can I? And when I told him the whole concept of what I was really trying to create with this record, he's like, I'm in, can I do it? And again, and then from there, we also had some mutual friends who are the people involved with, um, you know, they play with Stevie Wonder, they play with uh, Jennifer Lopez. So because of, you know, we're all friends, got them involved. And um, it just seems like it was one connection after another, you know, everybody's sort of connected. You know, writing different styles or genres, does that come natural for you, or is there a style that you kind of gravitate towards? Um, that definitely did not come natural <laughs> for me. Uh, no, it's far from it. I'm, I'm a rock metal guy, and yeah. that's why, like I said, when, it, when we put out The Inferior as our first single, that was just natural for, for me, is, you know, stepping into old shoes yeah. to some degree, but it's... Um, the earlier stuff, you know, a long time ago, Tony and I were signed to EMI Records, but we wanted to do something different, like a little bit more of a modern um, twist on it. But um, but writing the other genres, I, I knew I needed to have variety on the record. And you know, I you know, basically, I just immersed myself into these other styles. And plus, I'm also a fan of of all music. But naturally, I'm a rock guy, or that's what I grew up listening to. But I am a big blues fan. I am a jazz fan, um, you know, of, of all genres. So, um, but naturally, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a rock guy. But it definitely wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and and then for as the record was evolving, it was sort of like I was trying to piece a puzzle. Like, what do we need to for for a variety's sake, you know. Um, you know, let's do a pop song. Let's do, you know, a ballad. Let's do, um, you know, like an R&B type of song. Um, just because I felt that's what the record needed. And then I would just, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, and, and thank God we were able to, to pull it off. Well, on those songs that weren't rock songs like the pop or the blues or R&B, did you bring in the artists that were involved with that to write with you or did you write them just with them in mind and then have them add their take on it once they started recording? No, what I did is um, I tried to put in a whole different process for everybody, for the majority of the record. Most of the people that are playing on their genre or playing on the, say like an R&B genre or like a good example would be, like say like on the blues track or, um, or even a good example is that metal shirt. Did you listen to the Go Go Shred song? Yes. Which is that uh, guitar instrumental. Now with that, like basically what I was trying to do is not necessarily put somebody. Um, it wasn't really about making people uncomfortable. I want to expose these artists to um, to different fan bases, and th that I also knew that they were fans of. They were because I know that 
a lot of metal guys and rock guys are fans of blues ours or jazz ours, but they make a living playing rock or metal. So they don't really get to explore that because either a, the record company or the fans will keep them in, in that little, you know, box, but they have a, a deep passion for all these other music, you know, that, that they never really get, uh, get to explore. So like, say for instance, on the go, go shred song, I took the bass player. He was a bass player for, um, for Spyro Gyra and Herb Albert. So again, he's like a Latin Jaco Pastorius. He doesn't know even what song he's playing on. And I did that to every artist. They didn't know what, like, they didn't know what they were walking into. Oh, wow. So on that, so on the go, go shred one, he's opening up with this like a little funk jazz thing. And then on the track, it's like, and where else would you hear this type of thing? You got a Latin Jaco Pastorius, but with, um, we're teaming up with, um, I have the guitar player from Ice-T's bands. I got Ernie Ernie from Ice-T. I have Jordan from Rat. I have um, Johnny Highland. I'm not sure if you know who Johnny is, but Johnny oh, yeah. is the chicken-picking king. Yeah. And then I end up, and then I, I close the, sh- the show. I do the very last solo. And But again, most fans of Johnny know the snow and that's a chicken picker. But because I, I, I know Johnny quite well, a lot of people don't realize that Johnny was on Steve Vai's label when he was a teenager. So yeah. he's a metal guy, you know, and man, the guy's, you know, he's just a killer. So to have like, you know, and, and originally he was after, it's funny after hearing Jordan's track, he's like, you sure you want me on this metal track? <laughs> this other one's a little bit more like what I do. I'm like, no, you'll be perfect. You know, and, and same thing with the Latin Chaco Pastorius guy. He's like, really? You want me to play on a metal track? He goes, I'm known for that. Like, no, it'll be perfect. And I really did that with, with everybody, even on that blues song. Um, you know, her name is Morgan Miles. She's more like a country pop singer. And working with her in one of, in one of my go-go in- interviews, I know she has this like third or fourth gear. Like she has this, um, like a Beth Hart. She's got um, like a Janis Joplin, you know, chops to her. But I, I also think that her country bass and her record companies keep her like in, in a pop type of feel, you know? And um, so th- for her to go and do like this Janis Joplin over the top you know, blues vocal, it was, you know, it was for me, it made perfect sense. Yeah. And then, um, and, and then same thing on that same track, say on the blues track, um, I had this ba- uh, bass player for this band called Mana. I'm not sure if you know who those guys are, but seen that name. Yeah. So Mana, it's funny, I, I always get that reaction, not always, but Mana is the equivalent of like the police of the U2 from Mexico. Okay. And they've sold probably about 70 or 80 million records. <laughs> and, 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 and to show you actually how big these guys are, they actually hold the record for selling out Madison Square Garden faster than any band in history. <laughs> and even this past year, they put out a record. I mean, they just, they went on tour. They sold out nine shows at the LA Forum this past year. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and like, and no, and it's like again, it's like you ask a lot of people, like, who are they? But anyway, <laughs> so the bass player from that group is on three of songs. So I had him on a blues song. So what what I was trying to accomplish was like a unique collaboration. It's like, how would a Latin rock guy approach a blues song? How would a country pop girl sing on a on a blues you know on a blues song? How would Johnny Highland approach a metal song? You know, and so I was trying to accomplish a lot of unique uh, collaborations. 
And is that kind of how you decided who played, like, you know, on Gogo Shred, for instance, you know, how do you decide who plays which part, <laughs> you know? Just kind of to speak to that. Pretty, yeah, some of it I, I already knew, like, you know, where Jordan's part was going to fit and mm-hmm. where Johnny's part was going to fit, <clears throat> I already knew. Um, but where Ernie was going to fit from Ice-T's band, I wasn't sure. Because Ernie plays a, a, a completely different style. And I was like, okay, where am I going to fit Ernie? And um, so I was able to put him in two spots of the song. And originally, I was just going to just do you know, a little bit of the soloing. And, but I think the, um, the metal gods were, were, were smiling on me that day and I was able to hit all the right notes. So I, I ended up doing the last solo of the song. And, you know, so that, that's how that came about. <laughs> but, uh, I think for one night I was able to bring, bring out my inner shred in, in the, the old school way. <laughs> so was everybody, I mean, you kind of mentioned it with several of them, but was everybody completely open to doing that? Like stepping outside of their box basically? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody was so excited to do it. And I think that's sort of the, um, not necessarily the secret sauce behind it, but it was, I think for them, it was almost like, you know, when you first start playing, it was just about that. It was just getting to really just express yourself just because you, you love doing music. It, what you're, you weren't doing it for the record company. Uh, you weren't doing it for the money. You were doing it for, you know, you just want to play. And so again, like I was telling these people, just the different concept. I said, I'm not going to let you know what the song is until you until you're there. And, and like you said, everybody was like, Yeah, I'm there. You know. So um, I think everybody was just so excited, and I think their passion comes through. And yeah, it was a lot of excitement. So. Well, being the the producer, and you're involved in you know playing on every song and writing all the songs, you kind of got to bring your vision to life? Like how much did the other artists bring to certain songs that maybe you didn't foresee beforehand? I think they all, they all gave a lot. Um, you know, basically I think looking back, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, I have to thank him for, I mean, they, they trusted my vision. Like I said, there's a, I call it the Mike madness where like whatever I was hearing at the end, I, I knew I was trying to get a, certain sound so i think for them to trust me in that role um what was a big thing um but uh actually i just lost my 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 chain of thought here so if you can ask me the question again (laughs) well yeah i just wondered if any of the artists kind of brought in you know something to their songs that you might not have saw beforehand as part of your vision uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So to uh, reiterate, yes, I would say that they all did, um, and it was a very cool experience because I got to see, like, we were all trying to get to a certain, like, you know, people like when they hear a song, they there's a thing that they're all trying to accomplish, right? They're trying to he- hear a certain thing, but how they get there is quite different. You know, depending on on your mood, depending on your technique, depending on um, you know, your, you know, your, your, your music theory could depend, it goes through, it could also depend on your, your mood of the day. Um, but to see that the creative mind and everybody's mind was really different. So to see how actually how they approach a song it was, re- it was such an eye-opening experience. And as much as I had to be a producer and say like project leader and lead this thing, I was also learning as well. And there was so, there was so many, 
um, if you want to call it like light bulbs or aha moments when, you know, like you said, somebody would play guitar lick or also I would hear, you know, Morgan on the blues song sing something. I go, wow. Okay. And, and because she sang it this way, then I would actually go back to the bass player and say, you know what, let's change up this bass thing. Or, you know, now it needs this different guitar part. Or now we have to change. There was actually a couple of tracks where I just took the drummer off and put a brand new drummer on it because the way the, the, the new guitar parts were. Or I thought the bass player was playing something that was um, quite different than the original feel that I thought would be better. So there was a lot of that where it was just taking guys off and putting them back on. And um, so, yeah, that's, I, I definitely got a lot out of that. Being such a long process. And I imagine, like you said, kind of, you know, tough to get everything compiled together. Is this something you would attempt again down the line? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I call it the, uh, there was definitely a, a lot of, um, it's the project of love and hate, uh, you know, in this <laughs> one. Um, I mean, the hours and put into this, I, I, I definitely, from what I understand, looking back, it was a, <clears throat> a lot bigger undertaking than expected to actually, I mean, I, I started, since, it took me exactly one year. So I started May 28th and finished mix and mastering by June 4th of that next year. And, um, but yes, to answer your question, uh, we're, we're going to start the inferior record in April. And then we're going to start a new go-go record at the end of it, uh, end of May. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, we'll have some bigger surprises on this uh, second one as well. And all I can tell people is just if you go through to the go-go site and see our, our roster, you'll pretty much get an idea of, you know, of who will pretty much will be on it. Um, there's probably still another list of about 125 people that want to be on this type of record. So it's, uh, I think at least I can do another volume three or four if all goes well. Cool, man. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. Well, again, I appreciate your uh, support and I'm glad you support and, and, um, you know, I hope you like the record and your, and your fans and your listeners like it as well. There you go. Mike Mostert of go, go tuners. He's got the new album. It came out, uh, five or six months ago, Mike Mostert and the Go-Go Tuner family album. So check that out. Like you heard there in that interview, it's got a ton of different genres going on. And it's not like when some people try to do that, it just comes off as someone trying to do that. This is authentic and it sounds great. Definitely. And they definitely pulled this off. So check out the album if you have not. A huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions. And of course, a huge thank you to Mike for taking some time out to talk to us there. Something else to to plug real quick. We just recorded an interview with Ivan DePrume of Big News. And of course, as the original drummer for White Zombie. Right. And we've got that interview coming up here soon, but it'll also feature a written interview that we did with Sean, the original bass player. Yes. Or the only bass player of White Zombie. Right. And hat. How are we going to do that? Did we ever figure out how we're going to do that? I think we're just going to read it ourselves. Okay. Oh, no, that's fine. Because we had talked about getting we someone in to read it. We talked about a million different yeah. things. We, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. We'll read them. Fuck it. Yeah. Because we've never, we've had a couple offers in the past of doing, you know, email interviews. And I was just like, eh. You know, yeah. just kind of like. 
Yeah. But then I guess because they were, I don't know why I just said, eh, because it was just kind of like, that's not what we do, you know? We could have put right. it on our website, I guess. But yeah. with Sean, I was just like, of course, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I get that. And then we got the chance to talk to Ivan, which is really cool. So we're going to have that coming here in the next week or so. Yeah, we're going to make it like a white zombie spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> the white, zom- white zombie rhythm section spectacular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so be on the lookout for that. And we've also got some other things in the works, as we always do. And yeah, if this is your first time listening, we appreciate it. We've had 250 plus extra episodes before this one. You can go check out. We've had on everyone from Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Kenny Hickey of Typo Negative, Dave Elfson of Megadeth, Gene Simmons of Kiss, Bruce Kulik, formerly of Kiss. You know, there's a long ass list. Oh, it goes on and on. Yeah. So just dig through that and check all that stuff out. We're also on YouTube at the Thunder Underground. Subscribe there. We've got a lot of videos that are separate from what we do on the podcast. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, all the other stuff you can listen to podcasts except for Spotify. And yeah, thethunderunderground.com is where everything's at. So get on there, follow, like, share, tweet, do whatever. It helps us out. All right, once again, thank you to DEB Concerts, Med Farm, and Mike Mostert. And until next time, wash your hands. Thunder Underground, y'all.